Welcome to episode 193 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, not joined by Paul Herman this week. In a moment, I will be joined by Brian, who was recently appeared on one of our Patreon podcasts, Marvelous Moments, in which we talked about that great scene in Spider-Man Homecoming between in the car between Peter Parker and Adrian Toomes. And Brian is joining me to talk about Marvel Studios Assembled, the making of WandaVision. And we're also going to be looking back on the show overall, just looking back on the series now that it's done, and also discussing some of the things that have come up with spoiler interviews with the creators over the past week, uh, and some of the issues that maybe some fans have had with the show, and just getting into all of that before we move, to put a button on WandaVision before we move forward into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier next week. But before we get into that, I just want to talk about, I mentioned the Patreon So in addition to exclusive podcasts like Marvelous Moments or Fan Show Plus, which covers non-MCU material, including an upcoming spoiler review of Zack Snyder's Justice League, we have community events like we had for Watch-A-Vision, so WandaVision watch parties every week. We're going to be doing the same thing with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's the Falcon and the Winter Watch Party every Saturday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, beginning on Saturday, March 20th, the day after the very first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier premieres on Disney+. Plus. So for more information on the exclusive podcasts and community events that we have, please visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And also make sure you're following us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To those of you who've already done so, Thank you very much. And now, on with our show. Brian, welcome to MCU Fan Show. Thank you for having me, Sean. I'm excited to be here. It is a pleasure having you here. I'm so excited to talk about Marvel Studios Assembled. Paul and I had a chance to talk about just the idea of this show, the existence of this show when uh, on a Patreon credit scene. And I love this sort of stuff. I mean, of course, I'm happiest to have brand new MCU stories on Disney Plus, but also one of the advantages of something like Disney Plus is being able to have a place to have really great in-depth behind the scenes content. And even more so than we've had on Marvel Studios home releases, which haven't necessarily been the most uh, robust uh, as far as behind the scenes features. But Marvel Studios Assembled gives us that opportunity. As we know, it's going to be for series and movies going forward. And it begins, obviously, with WandaVision. And I really enjoyed this special. I, of course, am a sucker for this sort of stuff in general. And as somebody who spends so much of his time thinking and talking about the MCU, um, only a small fraction of which is, is recorded for people to hear, it's nice to be able to engage with it in this other way. And I do have some... I guess maybe some things that I'll call out later as criticisms of things like I kind of wish were a part of Marvel Studios Assembled. Uh, But overall, I I really enjoyed this special. What did you think? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I've never been, um, I guess, a sucker for the special features. Like for the most part, whenever you get those two disc uh, DVD sets, the second disc for me would just kind of go by the wayside. I've never really cared that much about the special features. But ever since really diving into the whys of the MCU. And that, that really started with jumping on, on your show back during the road to infinity war and, and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've cared a lot more about 
the hows and the whys decisions are made and why this character is doing what they're doing. And, and Assembled gave us some of that. I, I think, I don't think we got in as much as any of us would have enjoyed. Um, but, but still, I, I've never been a special features person, but this is, this is the perfect length of time for me. I, uh, overall, I really, really enjoyed it. I don't understand the business of Hollywood. So even seeing cables really just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see a lot that's here. I mean, you kind of get a feel for what it's like on set. I mean, you actually hear the, uh, the AD, the assistant director going through the day and, and talking through schedules of actors kind of rehearsing actors going away, actors coming back and, and all of that stuff of how a set actually runs. So you do get some of that. What was also interesting about the sets and the costumes was seeing some of them in color, which we've not seen very much of. When we're talking about the first two episodes of the show, which are mainly in black and white, to be able to see what those sets actually looked like. And obviously, we got a glimpse of that in episode eight, when they peel back the curtain and Wanda's kind of looking at the television set of her life in that kind of surreal experience. So we got to see what that living room looked like, but not as much of a look at it, not as clear of a look at it uh, as we got in Marvel Studios Assembled. So that part was really cool. And, and I think it shows the attention to detail that really went into it. Um, and I mean, not that you couldn't tell in the show, but even more so, you get a sense of it here. And uh, the costumes by uh, Maya C. Rubio, who was the costume designer on the series, just really popped and, and everything looked so great. Uh, and then you see other stuff of just behind the scenes making of it. I mean, you get all of this great uh, details on these sets, but then you also get some like weird, wacky stuff that you don't expect, like Blue Vision. I mean, we had White Vision, and now we, we've got Blue. I had read about Blue Vision several months ago, so when I heard about Assembled, and I think I can find my my post on the Discord, is I just want to see Blue Vision. That's all I want to see. I expected him to look like Yondu. And I mean, we, we kind of got, but it was really, really cool. I really enjoyed seeing how the visual effects are done, especially on him. I just assumed that, especially the, the gray parts on his head, the metal parts were part of his costume and to see just bald Paul Bettany with just the red looking like red skull, basically, like it was really, really jarring for me to see that. Yeah. Well, that is different. That's different than how they've done it in the past. Cause you actually okay. see behind the scenes footage of age of Ultron in this special and he does have the full headpiece. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why that changed for this. I mean, there were probably some shots in previous projects where they did it like that as well. But it felt like that was all they did in this one. Like the the green parts of his headpiece were just never actually on him. And I do wonder if maybe that was a time thing uh, with this being, which time is money in Hollywood, as it is in many instances. So maybe that was a thing where like they had to do it faster. But it doesn't really matter to me how they did it. It's only a problem if I was noticing that something was off when looking at Vision, which didn't happen in, in the show. He looked, I thought he looked great throughout and yeah, seeing, reading about Blue Vision was one thing. Seeing Blue Vision was uh, was quite another. But as they said, they had done initial tests in the very first week. Um, I think it was Tara DeMarco, the visual effects supervisor, and Jen Underhall, the uh, VP of visual effects, were talking about that in, I can't remember which of them said it specifically, but they were talking about that issue of like they, I think it was Tara, the very first week doing tests based on old footage of Vision um, prior MCU footage of Vision and, and looking at it in black and white and it just didn't pop. It just didn't show up the right way. So they had to go with blue and they did camera tests to figure out the right shade of blue. But then also pointing out that that's an old 
sitcom trick. I mean, that's kind of what they were doing throughout this show is being true to not only what these shows looked like and what they felt like, but even how they were made to a certain extent. And that was one of those tricks is that actors might have worn blue lipstick in order to have it appear red when, of course, it was going to be brought. The show was ultimately going to be broadcast in black and white. So all of that stuff I thought was really, really interesting. But I also like the way that they went back. Oh, one more thing of attention to detail. I don't think they were the most comfortable option for the studio audience, but I did like the wooden chairs for the studio audience. <laughs> uh, they did have a little cushion to be a little easier on the seat for sure, but uh, which maybe they had in the 50s and 60s. But even like the the guardrails or handrails for the stage and just being so true to it. I mean, another part of that attention to detail that I really liked was seeing director Matt Shackman like in a suit and tie on set and a lot of the members of the crew, maybe not everybody, but a lot of the crew, you could see they were wearing period appropriate uh, wardrobe the day uh, on the day to really just recapture the whole feel and, and not only immerse us as the audience at home, but immerse themselves and the studio audience that was there, all the links they went to to really make all of this feel like for themselves, for the studio audience, for everybody to just make it feel like it belonged in that time period and like it really was, you know, a, a snapshot of the 1950s and 1960s to be able to bring that level of detail and that level of commitment to it. Uh, I found really I thought that was really fun and also really inspiring and in, in just the way they uh, the way they gave so much of themselves and so much attention to this show. Yeah, something that really stood out to me, uh, other than how blue that kitchen was, it was very, very blue. I never would have would have picked up on that in the black and white. But when when Matt Shackman was talking about first, he said visual effects and then he realized what he'd said. And he goes, no, 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 they're special effects. Right. And he talked about and I, I can't remember um, that person's name, but he said he came up under yeah. the bewitched, the bewitched uh, guys. And it was just an absolute callback to him to be able to go back to the roots of, of what that was, just the tender love and care that the audience everybody had um, yeah. was really, really, really impressive. I, I enjoyed it. And I mean, for me, the studio audience was really cool to see because I recognize that that rail simply because it's on home improvement tool time. Like that's yeah. the only like <laughs> TV studio audience that I'm even aware of. But just to yeah. see computational services on the left side of the stage, the kitchen on the right side with the living room right in the center, um, just how small of an area they're able to do those those multi-cam angles from um it was just man it was just really 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 cool for for somebody who has no idea how the business runs it was really neat to see yeah and it was dan sudik who's been doing special effects at marvel forever now at this point i mean marvel hasn't been around forever but he's been doing it for a long time I mean, he's worked on the big stuff like avengers endgame he's been a part of that and then yeah to realized that he came up under the guys who did bewitched and that was kind of his whole introduction into doing this and for him to be able to have that sort of throwback experience and do the stuff on wires and, and everything like that that they were doing. And I'm glad that we got to see that because that was certainly one of the things I was most looking forward to in knowing that this series was coming. And you go back to episode one with all the crazy stuff that was happening in the kitchen. Like, yeah, you totally want to see that. Um, and it was fun to see that little piece of it. It was also great to venture like all the way back to Paul Bettany recording his initial you know voice as uh, Jarvis in yes, Iron Man yes. with John Favreau with right there FE on the screen the iron yeah that yeah was really cool. yeah like that was so awesome and also just like remembering that oh yeah like why is why does it look like he has no eyebrows or bleached eyebrows and it's like oh yeah that was when he was doing the Da Vinci code um just remembering Paul Bettany's own history and why he looked the way he did there but 
that was really great. Um, it was also fun to get a look inside very, very briefly, uh, albeit too briefly, the writer's room with, uh, of course, head writer Jack Schaefer. And we see just a tiny glimpse of all the stuff on the walls. And, and we see some of the writers there in the room. Would have loved to have spent more time in that space, but uh, more on that when we get to maybe some missed opportunities of the show later. Um, but that was cool. Seeing Kevin Feige and Jack Schaefer just kind of laughing and, and you know creating on set. Uh, Mary Lovanos, the executive producer, I loved her comment about Matt Shackman calling him the Swiss Army knife of a human that they needed for this show because Matt Shackman, and I think a lot of you are probably aware of it by now, having, of course, followed along with the show. And if you've read a lot of interviews and stuff like that, like we have, you know his background. We talked about it on the show. Child actor in a lot of these uh, in sitcoms that were inspirations for WandaVision or sitcoms that are very similar to inspirations for WandaVision. And then, of course, he's done big stuff like directing episodes of Game of Thrones, but he's also done smaller stuff. I mean, he's got a theater background. He runs The Geffen, which is a playhouse out here in L.A., and so he does all of these different things. And you realize as Mary Lovanos is talking through it, like, yeah, that really does make him perfect for something like WandaVision, which is doing so many different things. And of course, with filming the first episode in front of a live audience, that is a play. And that was how, uh, as Matt Shackman kind of shares, like that's how the Dick Van Dyke show did it. That was how they made the show. That lunch that Matt Shackman got to have with Kevin Feige and Dick Van Dyke at D23, during D23 in 2019, before right before they started pre-production on WandaVision, that whole thing of this is how we did it. It was that theater feel of it's a live audience and we're going to go through it one time and that's it. And there was a certain magic to that. And I loved that, you know, Matt Shackman just totally leaned into that. Another big takeaway from this, I mean, I think we already got it and I think we already knew it, but it's on another level for me, just how hilarious Elizabeth Olsen is. Like mm -hmm. when Paul Bettany is making the joke about this is the first time that in like over 100 years or something since 1880 something that he's performed in front of a live audience, the way she just deadpans that whole thing and commits to that bit, uh, I thought was awesome. And as she says herself later on, and you know, another cut from that interview, uh, we, she even says, quote, I'm very funny. I'm very funny. And this was her first time getting to be funny as Wanda. What a gas. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is hilarious. Shout out to uh, one of my fellow patrons, Alex, who called out that when she's talking about her 80s wig, she talks about it has secrets, dropping uh -huh. the Mean Girls reference. Um, that was that was really well done. I enjoyed, for some reason, the one scene from this show that stands out to me is watching her do her magic to the chicken and then pausing and then yep. flop and then switching the burnt chicken right in there. It just, I never knew how any of this was done because I guess ignorance is bliss to an extent. I... Uh, I really enjoyed it, but just when they were talking about their prosthetics, making them stand up straighter, making them walk a particular way, just the tender yeah. love and care that they took for everything. But I think for me, the biggest takeaway was I didn't know it was possible, but I love Tiana Paris. Oh yeah. So, so much. I, and I, this is probably a normal thing for Marvel. I can't imagine this is a normal thing in the business where people don't know that they're auditioning, especially for something that's going to continue for, what we assume to be the next seven or eight years. So mm -hmm. for her to get the part before she even knew it was Monica Rambo, just dreaming of that possibility was really, really cool to hear about. Yeah, I love that story from her and the way she told it. I mean, her enthusiasm is infectious. Um, I think as anybody and her charisma is just blatantly obvious to anybody who's been following her on Instagram throughout uh, this journey with WandaVision. 
But then, of course, watching her on screen and the amazing performances that she gave episode for like every single episode that she was in for WandaVision, just so great. And I, yeah, I love the story and the way she told it that all she had were the sides that were based on Geraldine in the 70s. And I mean, even for Marvel with that part of the casting process, like they're, they based her casting on a, on one aspect of her role that she would only play for a very brief time and never really play again, which is uh, an interesting way to think about it. You wouldn't think that. You would think you would have her read more as Monica Rambeau in a straightforward sort of way because that's the version of the character she's going to spend the most time as. But um, throughout her tenure, as we expect in the MCU, but I think it's also, I mean, obviously when you bring somebody in for casting, regardless of what they read for the sides, you're also going to be evaluating other things uh, about them to see if they're going to be right, the right fit for the role. But I loved that story of she went in auditioning based on sides for effectively Geraldine in the 1970s and then had a couple weeks where she didn't know what was going to happen. And as she mentioned, you know, having to kind of let that go because as an actor, you can't get too attached until you get hired because you're going to be rejected a lot more times than you get accepted and, and are ultimately cast in something. And so for her to go through that process and then find out she was cast and then wonder to her agent, like, what if it's Monica Rambo? And then it is. It's just such a great story. And uh, I, I loved it. And I'm so happy that she's part of the MCU and she's Monica Rambo because she's been perfect in that part. Um, and yeah, I, I also caught on the whole thing about posture with the costumes. Paul Bettany talking about his fake butt. Um, I also loved how much of a kick uh, Deborah Joe Rupp got out of her hat uh, that she chose. <laughs> I know she Mrs. was so Hart. proud of she chose the right one. But then the other thing that she like totally got a kick out of because you know it's a thing that she's just never done ever is like the body scan for like the very small amount of visual effects work that she had to do with, of course, the finale um, and just the because and I'm sure that's the thing for an actor like that's for Deborah Joe Rupp who's had such a great career. And, you know, been around to get the opportunity to do something brand new, I'm, I'm sure is something that she got a kick out of. And, of course, you know, impressed her great nephew, who will still be around for visits because she took this part. Um, I also really loved it, I think, as as we all have, Catherine Hahn. Uh, one of the moments that it's easy to miss, but I, I really love it, is she's hanging, like, in the harness. And it's... Famously, everybody knows this who's followed anybody who's ever heard actors talk about harnesses um, has heard actors talk about how it's, you know, not the most comfortable position to be in. And usually you want to get out of there just as soon as you can. And there was a moment there where you hear somebody call cut and she like shouts out one more, one more, one more uh, while the cameras are still rolling. And so they do one more. And I, I just to me, that was a testament of her commitment to the character and just being in the moment of like feeling like and we didn't get to see what that take was and is it the one that was ultimately used in the show or whatever but just that idea of being in the moment and like forget the harness forget how uncomfortable this is or whatever it is uh i'm here in this moment and i i, I have a feeling that i got you know one more in me that's that's worth getting on camera and uh and went and did that i i really liked that from her but then also i mean I kind of wish now that they had, I mean, I killed Sparky too and ending on the laugh was the right way to end Agatha all along in episode seven. But man, when she's, I mean, the spoiler alert comment was funny, but when she's walking away and she just throws Tosses Sparky <laughs> and says, oh, good time. Like I was dying laughing. I was like, oh, I, I kind of wish we saw the, the dog throw. 
Yeah, you beat you beat me to it. The dog throw is really what stood out to me. They just let Catherine Hahn be Catherine Hahn. And mm-hmm. that was kind of my my favorite thing. Even the stuff that you you got of her and you could see um it was interesting to see the pre-COVID and post-COVID mm-hmm. stuff where you saw face shields and stuff kind of make an appearance. But when you saw Catherine Hahn, they talked about her being overzealous and jumping in a monologue too early. And yeah, and they just let her they just let her do her thing. And she seemed to have a legit amount of fun, which I'm super happy about because I, we can almost certainly count on her reappearing in the MCU. And that's very, very exciting, but it was, I don't know, like I picked up on very early on. Um, I wonder how much of a secret they were trying to keep, um, particularly with Catherine Hahn, because her only interview was she was wearing the costume as right. Agnes after after Wanda put her back in as the nosy neighbor. So right. there was a lot that they were trying to protect. Um, and and I and I can understand that. But even like Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez, we get a really great sequence of them talking about all the different theme songs, but we didn't get anything about Agnes all along. And I wish we had had gotten that but uh just the theme songs and and all that was really really cool too yeah i i agree with that i noticed that as well well also just the make not just the song agatha all along but the making of the sequence where we've heard in interviews they've talked about how yeah they had to do that because you can't just all of these sets change and they move with all these different time periods and so they had to go as they were finishing with a time period like okay now we got to do before we change this set this look or whatever, we got to go shoot the Agatha all along sequence for this time period. And that was part of it. And I kind of wish that we got some of that in the show. Um, but I'll have more to say about that in, in just a bit. But um, yeah, the I did like with uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Robert Lopez, them talking about the WandaVision motif that is in every song and presented in a different way. Uh, hearing that Jack Schaefer's favorite song, theme song was the 1980s one, making it up as we go along which is certainly one that I have found myself singing aloud a lot, um, just bursting out with like crossing our fingers, singing a song and then just going right into it. And I don't sing well, so that's not good for anybody else. But um, that part was fun. Uh, Just kind of checking in with Randall Park and Kat Dennings and Randall Park. I love that they showed the clip for maybe anybody who watched WandaVision but hasn't seen all of the other MCU movies, particularly something like Ant-Man and the Wasp where they cut to one of the moments that made Jimmy Woo for me as a character was the whole, you know, going to Germany and drawing on the walls with Captain America moment with Cassie and, you know, violating Article 16, Paragraph 3 of the Sokovia Accords. Really loved that. Um, And then are there other little clips that were just really fun, like Vision with his ice cream in the 70s, like licking it and being disgusted by it? (laughs) Uh, It was really cool. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Olsen talking about her 80s wardrobe and her, you know, wig being making her feel like she was filled with secrets. Um, also, like I like that they called out that that was Kathleen Hanna that from Bikini Kill that you heard in Let's Keep It Going and which, you know, I knew from looking at the credits, but it was still cool to see that called out in the show. Um, and then you're know, going in with the production designer, Mark Worthington, and he's showing the sword base. And there's different things where you see uh, little bits of concept art here and there. Uh, more on that in a bit. Um, but I liked the the part that was really interesting to me w- on his segment with Mark Worthington, the production designer, was when he was talking about these overnight changeovers. Like this was the speed at which they had to work. And I have to imagine that some of that had to be due to COVID 
and really kind of delaying things and then ultimately probably compressing the schedule because for a, a little bit of behind the scenes on that works like what he's referring to there like on for two days off for two days that's kind of a thing is like you'll have a group you'll have the shooting crew and they'll film and then they go away and then the set the set dressing team comes in and they reset the whole thing for whatever the next look is you don't typically have to change it overnight um certainly not for something on the scale of you know some projects for budgetary reasons have to do that um but usually on a marvel thing you don't really have to do that but Obviously, they were on a compressed timeline. I mean, if they wanted more time, there was no rule that said they had to be on Disney Plus on January 15th, but obviously they wanted to get it done. And thankfully, it didn't show. I mean, their hard work, it's not like it. WandaVision never looked like a rush job or anything like that. That's just the level of commitment and effort that went into it. Uh, so, you know, shout out to the overnight crews uh, for WandaVision uh, for helping everything look so uh, amazing and for allowing them to get the show done. Um but it was really and then I, I also loved how much they talked about like uh, Elizabeth Olsen talking about how much flying was in the show in a more practical sense, not just digital doubles all the time. But a lot of people on harnesses like herself, Catherine Hahn, obviously Paul Bettany spending a fair amount of time uh, on wires and, and doing all of that uh, was really interesting stuff. And uh, I, I also love the from the visual effects team from Jen Underhall and Tara DeMarco kind of talking about the idea behind the the boundary for the hex and, and wanting to have it be invisible to add kind of that level of mystery and creepiness to it, but then also having the, the different wavelengths to kind of mimic the way television looks. Um, just the attention to detail at all levels uh, was great. And then uh, one more missing thing from Catherine Hahn, although I'm glad they cut it because I don't think it actually worked, um, was her asking Agnes or Agatha asking Wanda, who is the boss here, Wanda, <laughs> um, uh, during uh, the finale in the town square. That's a little bit too on the nose, huh? Yep. I, uh, yeah, like I, I just assumed the town to have been blue screen, like to actually see it so tangible like that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you had shared and, and stuff we've read, like I knew it was tangible at that point, but to see it, um, just getting physically painted overnight, um, was really, really surprising. It really, again, me not understanding the business of seeing mm -hmm. Catherine Hahn up on top and then her talking basically over a microphone so everybody else can, yeah. can hear what's happening. I, I just... It's really cool to see that behind the scenes stuff of stuff that I just don't understand. And yeah. I've probably missed years and years of special features on DVDs that probably would have helped me understand this. But um, I just I overall I really, really enjoyed it. And I am very excited to get this for everything going forward. I, I even expect something like Black Widow or mm -hmm. Shang-Chi or Eternals to have just as much of the same length, even though the finished product is going to be a third in, in the time frame. Yeah, it was really great to get as as much as we got in this, even though I'm, I am going to complain about things we didn't get. But um, it was great seeing that, like the the shots of the town square, which um, the reason why you're seeing like these hills behind, which you don't see in the show, but the hills in Southern California that you're seeing, uh, that's because they're on the Warner Brothers lot. That's where the town square is with the gazebo and, and everything um, in the show. So that was part of the, the L.A. portion of the shoot. But as they were wrapping up, like I really liked Elizabeth Olsen's takeaway from it, you know, talking about how it's the first time Wanda has accepted who she is and really getting into more of the the story and, and resolution for Wanda by the end of this and kind of, you know, accepting who she is, dealing with her pain and, and kind of moving forward as we witnessed in the show, which I thought was really great. And so I'm glad she kind of touched on that as far as where things are for her character right now going into, of course, more adventures as she talks about there. 
And then they, of course, end on a line that people just instantly fell in love with. But what is grief if not love persevering as we get that last shot of Wanda and then we uh, we roll credits. I really liked this special. As I said before, I'm just a sucker for these sorts of things. Like I, I, I love all aspects of this stuff. I love the stories. I love how they're made. I love the business around it. Um, maybe not always the business around it, but I, I really like this stuff on so many different levels. And uh, it was great to explore so much of that in this. But there were a few things. I, I shouldn't have just put a butt on that there, but it's true. There were a few things that I, I kind of wish were a part of this. Um, one of those, of course, would be Kevin Feige, whose absence, he's on camera, like you see him on set, you see him talking to Jack Schaefer, and I'm I'm sure for him, it's more of a thing of wanting to shine the spotlight on other people who are making invaluable contributions. Obviously, Jack Schaefer is the head writer, Matt Shackman is the director, Mary Lovanos is the executive producer, and, and all these other department heads and the cast and everything. Um, so yes, it's definitely the right thing and, you know, a testament to him to let everybody else shine, but this was his idea. The original concept of the show of Wanda processing her grief through this lens of classic sitcoms, that basic concept, that core concept came from him. And I know he's told the stories in other interviews and stuff of talking about how with the pressure of trying to deliver with Infinity War and Endgame to kind of culminate the first three phases of the MCU, that one of the things he was kind of doing to escape that was going into Nick at Night and these sitcom reruns. And I, I love that story, and I wish, even though I've already read that story, would have loved to see him talk more about that here um, or talk about that for the benefit of people who haven't necessarily read every Kevin Feige interview like we always hunt them down. So it would have been cool to get a little bit of that. And I totally appreciate and respect the you know intent behind it. Or maybe it was a schedule thing, like just, you know, a lot of stuff with, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff. Maybe there were maybe things they wanted to like in all things, things that maybe they would have done with this that for COVID reasons, you know, they didn't quite get to do. But wouldn't have minded Kevin Feige getting a little bit of love here. Um, but the biggest one, if we're talking about shining a spotlight of people who deserve it, I'll respect Kevin Feige being modest, but I really wish the visual development team got some love in this. They are an instrumental part. They're a foundational part of the process of making these things. And so if they're going to go this in depth and talk to people who deserve to be highlighted, visual effects supervisors and production designers, no doubt about it, totally deserve to be. And Robert, uh, Robert Lopez, Christian Anderson Lopez writing the original songs, um, so there's everybody who's showcased here is deserving, but also deserving in this 57 minute special, throw in an extra minute uh, with a little bit, you know, quick visit to Andy Park and, and anybody else maybe in the visual development team uh, who were a part of this process, you know, designing because this was our first fully formed Scarlet Witch costume. And, you know, that's important. And and the Viz Dev team was doing things, it was doing even different things than they've done in the past, like Andy doing the cartoon versions of the characters, not animating it, but coming up with the designs that would be animated for Wanda and Vision and Agatha and, and everybody else. Like, I, I just wish there was, um, they deserved a little bit of that spotlight right there. And, and also, it's not just because they deserve it. It's also really interesting. And it's an interesting part of the process of how Marvel Studios makes things. And the way they do it is different than other studios normally approach their concept art and, and visual development so I would have loved to see that highlighted here as well. 
Yeah, I I agree. I I wish we had had seen that. Most people that watched Assembled haven't read anything about Kevin Feige or know. I mean, they did call out that it was his idea, but the, they moved on pretty quickly from that. Like you said, it very well could just be a scheduling thing. For me, the way we've kind of quote unquote gotten to know Kevin Feige is it seems like he's more sharing the spotlight yep. um, than anything. For me, the last. I think it's the last third of the special does slow down a little mm-hmm. bit compared to the first, the first third. We do start to get rather than explanation as to the hows and the whys, we get a more of an explanation of the show. Yeah. And for me, it's explaining things like the Halloween episode that yep. as we get closer to the, and it's pretty interesting to me that they all just call the hex, the hex so easily, but we didn't even dawn on that name for it until like the fifth episode. So they did a good job as to not giving us that. Mm-hmm. But I would have more liked to have heard the hows and the whys of the story around like the commercials or, or something like that, rather than something that I, I take for granted that I understand so well of we get to the boundary and Ellis Avenue is the end of the hex, like all that kind of stuff. I wish right. we had spent a little bit more time creatively on, on what the commercials were. And now a lot of this shows left up to interpretation, sometimes to a detriment, but yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. It slowed down a little bit for me there. We spent a little, a long time talking about sword and their base and turning into a circus and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But overall, I don't, I don't dislike give me as much as you're willing to give me, but if you're going to give me that, if you're going to open the box a little bit, I would love it to be open just a little bit more. Yeah. And look, I I say all this knowing full well that I'm just being a greedy little MCU fan who always wants more of this stuff. So, um, it's not at all me not being happy with what we got. I'm very happy with Marvel Studios Assembled. I've already watched it a couple of times. I will totally watch it again um, and go back to it because I love seeing all of this stuff from the show. But as this being a brand new thing that maybe will evolve over time, worth calling out things, not that anybody from Marvel Studios listens, but worth calling out things that uh, would be fun to see in, in future installments of this. So, because uh, I do agree with that. I mean, the commercials, I understand wanting to leave certain aspects of it open to the audience's interpretation like and, and that's a thing that I think Jack Schaefer even talked about in another not on this special but in another you know post-mortem interview that she did I can't remember which one it was but you know talking about you know just the idea for some of the commercials like basically yeah people get to interpret them some of them are a little more obvious but some of them like yo magic are a little more open to interpretation and I, I understand because Jack Schaefer and, and Matt Shackman, like they're not the first creators to basically say, like, I don't want to tell you how to perceive something in my show. <laughs> like some things are explicit and obvious and like this is totally what it is. But some things are, are meant for you to kind of examine and, and interpret as you will. Um, so I, I do get that, although the commercials were an interesting part of the show. So I'm not they don't have to tell us exactly how we're supposed to interpret everything, but to just pay some attention to that as far as, you know, this was a cool part of the show, a fun idea for the show. So talk about the making of that, just like, you know, the making of the Agatha all along uh, sequence. And and I think that's really what I've noticed if I'm going to compare Marvel Studio and find something, uh, a little bit of a, a through line here with Marvel Studios assembled the making of WandaVision and then Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian season two, one of the things that's totally missing from that is among the things totally missing from that is, you know, Boba Fett being there at, at Jabba's palace to set up Book of Boba Fett. And of course, there's no Luke Skywalker at all 
in Disney Gallery uh, season two for The Mandalorian. And I feel okay now. It's months later that, yeah, Luke Skywalker appears at the end of the season two finale of The Mandalorian. And so it felt like those reveals didn't get to be part of the, the making of. And that was kind of similar here, right? Like the Evan Peters thing, you know, he got to talk about being like, you know, game for coming back and, and all of that when Kevin Feige approached him about it. But they don't really get into like the whole Ralph Boner thing. And, and we'll talk about that before this show is done. But that as well as Agatha all along. And I think that's the reason why it's not part of it is because it's a reveal. And I'm wondering why that is. And the only thing, the only theory I really have on it is whoever makes this and, you know, cuts this to, or really probably whoever edits it, because you got to figure the the shooting crew for this stuff, like they're on set, they're seeing all of this stuff. Like, you know, Agatha's a witch, like they're filming her in that costume. But I'm like, is this like trying to shield it from the editors of these things that like, you know, so it's to minimize the chances of a leak getting out. I, I don't really know. But yeah, some of the bigger reveals from these shows are are oddly absent from these making of specials. And I, and I have to feel like there's some sort of secret protection, uh, you know, or guarding of it going on here. And if that's the case, then I would say, well, I don't need to have these like the week after a show ends. <laughs> if it means that we have to wait a little bit longer in order to or cut the rest of the show together and then add in uh, a segment talking about the bigger reveals and something like that later, because uh, I would like the complete series being talked about, including some of the bigger reveals and the whys behind those reveals and driving some of those story decisions. Um, and of course, how that was achieved with things like Luke Skywalker showing up or Agatha all along in the case of WandaVision. I really I still want to see that material and I want the big reveals to be allowed to be a part of these making of specials. Uh, and right now, there's just this, this weird thing where they're not. Yeah, I that Evan Peters one really stuck out to me, too. Like they they never even touched on the fact that he ever played another version of Quicksilver. Like, I don't right. I, did, I don't think they even used the term coming back, did they? I mean, it was he just said he was a big fan of the Marvel yeah. Universe and he's very excited to be included. Like it was they were not addressing the 700 pound elephant in the room. Yeah. It was it was really it was really interesting. Um, and even um, I read an interview from Jack Schaefer. Um, she said she was a little bit caught off guard with the theories that that came out of, of casting Evan Peters. And that that was curious for me to read. I think that's her being a yeah. little bit um, saying it tongue in cheek a little bit. But still, it was to not address it. Um, we can put on our tinfoil hats and say there's a reason for it. But uh, it, it's just it's an interesting yeah. thing to not address. I'm, I'm with you. Like I wanted Luke Skywalker, how they pulled off that moment. And, and same here, I wanted to know kind of the ins and outs of that. And if I have to wait five or six months to get it, then I'll wait. Yeah. Or maybe circle back to some of this stuff. You know, I don't really anticipate that. I think we got our making of WandaVision special. But if they want to circle back and, and add a little more on this and maybe just, you know, it doesn't have to be a full size thing. Just throw on some. I mean, just kind of like they were just tacking on these special features for Endgame when it originally arrived on Disney Plus at launch. Like if you want to add in a little segment about some of this stuff later on. Uh, please do, because it sounds like fun. Uh, I would love to yeah. get more yeah. information on some of this stuff. Um, the last thing I would throw out as not a criticism of this show, just put it on my wish list. I really love seeing the writer's room for like the half a second that we got to see it. But we always hear about it in these different interviews, these conference rooms with all of the art and all these different things on the walls. 
I would love to get that fly on the wall perspective of some of those things. Like we hear about these creative meetings at Marvel Studios, and I, I know you don't want to give away the secret sauce and all of the process, but they've talked about it enough that just showing people hitting on one or two specific points um, of just different creative decisions or whatever as they're uh, making this like a, a pitch meeting for a costume design or whatever it is. Um, or review of costume designs, or anything, you know, if they're hitting on a specific moment in the show, talking through it, I would love that sort of material as well, whether that's part of Marvel Studios Assembled, or that has to be part of some other series that Marvel Studios does. Um, but as I said, all of this is uh, with the caveat that I am well aware that I'm just being greedy. We got a really great uh, making of special for WandaVision. I'm very, very happy with it. Uh, which is why we've spent, you know, 40 plus minutes now talking about uh, this making of special that's uh, about an hour long, although it's the longest WandaVision thing that we got. It's longer than any individual episode of WandaVision. Uh, but I really enjoyed this and I'm ha very happy that this series exists. I can't wait to see the next one, presumably if it follows the same schedule as WandaVision a week after Falcon Winter Soldier, which its last episode should be April 23rd, meaning we should get Marvel Studios assembled, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier on April 30th, and then we'll see what happens with Black Widow and its schedule, and then we know we've got plenty of things on the way on the film side and the Disney Plus series side, uh, so we'll get a lot more of these specials, and, and I'm really enjoying this first one right out the gate. Um, but I also want to talk about WandaVision, looking back on the series a bit, but Brian, this is where I'm going to, I, I want to give you an opportunity to share some of your overall thoughts on the series, because Paul and I talked about it for over 18 hours, uh, adding up all of our spoiler reviews together. So I think my thoughts on WandaVision are well documented. They are out there for everybody to go back and, and listen to those episodes again if you care to. Um, so obviously, I'm a huge fan of the show and was very, very impressed by it. Um, and I know you were as well, but I want to hear a little bit more about just you know looking back on it now that the series is all done, uh, how you feel about WandaVision before we move on to Falcon and Winter Soldier next week. Yeah, I um, and I'm going to say absolutely to a detriment. I rewatched these episodes far too many times when they dropped it 3 a.m. my time Friday morning. Um, I will have seen the episode by four or five times by the time we get to watch a vision on Saturday night. Um, and I, I, I started rewatching it just for the, the theories for the what did I miss and all that kind of stuff. So when we redid our watch a vision episodes one through nine, um, it was just fun to go back and relive the series. And in six months from now, I can't wait to do that. Just the magic that they were able to capture in those first, especially those two episodes um, and seeing in episode eight, the Dick Van Dyke show when he trips over the, mm -hmm. the chair, the Ottoman, and then going back and watching vision phase through it. I didn't grow up like I've, I've seen the Dick Van Dyke show, but I didn't like I've not, I have not consumed every episode of the, like I've seen the Walnut episode that's referenced in episode eight. Um, but I, so I, I mean, I got subtle references, but just to see it all come together and why things were the way that they were. Um, and everybody's, what was most surprising to me was everybody in the town just fully aware of Wanda and the control mm -hmm. that Wanda, the, the perceived control that Wanda had. Um, was really interesting when Mrs. Hart tells her to stop it. Just to revisit all those episodes was so much fun. I still, um, overall, especially sitcom wise, that second episode in the sixties with the talent show and gummed up vision and the, the neighborhood watch meeting 
that's the most we got Jones featured and I love, I love Phil Jones. So that yep. was, uh, and it was good to see that in assembled as well of, of raspberry or, or cheese. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I just, man, the show was so, so much fun. I am excited that it's over. I was, I was starting to get a little tired of the, of the theory making and, and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And that was yeah. what w- was a lot of fun for me. I'm a comic book guy from the MCU. I watch the product. I go to the discord. I find out what comic books people would recommend from that. I don't have time to go back and read them all. So I want to go and see what people recommend that applies to what I'm reading or to what I'm watching. So I've, I've learned a lot of West coast Avengers and, and all that kind of stuff since then. Um, but to expect everything to, to go hand in hand with the, with the comic books, it was the possibilities were endless, but I think a lot of people just put too much expectation on the show. And I was a Reed Richards believer. I thought it was possible. Um, but when the show didn't give it to us, um, so I'm, I'm excited. I think the show was the perfect length. Um, Overall, there's nothing that's ever going to touch that eighth episode from an emotion standpoint of going back through Wanda's timeline and and the surprise they pulled of of her not taking Vision's body from Sword. Mm-hmm. Um, it, very very jumbled for me to for me to say that I can't believe as a giant Star Wars fan myself as well that WandaVision far and away surpassed my level of anticipation from week to week. Um, than the Mandalorian did um, just because of the potential and it being the newest thing in the timeline and, and all that is not comparable to star Wars. So I just, man, I, I loved it so much and I can't wait to do this again and for Falcon winter soldier and then Loki and then X, Y, and Z and all the other movies. Like it just set the table so well. Yes, it really did. And I, of course, was a big fan of the show. I I really loved it. I I think it's something really special in the MCU and just with respect to storytelling in general, uh, was just such a huge fan of of WandaVision and love what they did with it. And yeah, it it dawned on me as well. I mean, just going back and watching all the episodes as we did for the Watch of Vision all along marathon last weekend. That was the first time watching all nine episodes consecutively, and it just moves Um, like all of a sudden we were on like episode seven, I was like, oh, we're winding down here. And I mean, not in terms of the show, obviously big things are still happening in the show, but we're already most of the way through this. And it just feels like, you know, it goes by so fast because the show plays so well, even when you're watching all nine episodes together. But I really enjoyed getting one installment a week. I know we got two to start, but really having the opportunity to to savor each episode and think about each episode Sure, at times drive ourselves crazy with theories after each episode, but to really be able to kind of break it down and and focus on each installment of the story and give it the level of attention that it deserves, because as you see in Marvel Studios Assembled, every chapter of this got an equal amount of attention and and focus and and effort. So they're all worthy and and the execution was great in all of them. So it's just they're all worthy of that level of attention from the audience. And I think the weekly release schedule allows you to kind of do that. And it makes each episode more of its own event. Not that WandaVision like invented this. I mean, Disney's already been doing this with the Mandalorian on Disney plus. And uh, of course uh, it's not like there are uh, other streamers have weekly episode drops and stuff like that. Not everybody uh, does the Netflix binge model and everything, but with WandaVision in particular though, with this show, 
really rewarded, I think, that week-to-week experience. And as far as, because I do want to address the idea of, you know, fan theories and expectations being met or unmet with WandaVision. And we talked about this on the show and talked about it a little bit last week on the finale, but I definitely wanted to circle back and spend more time on it because I wanted to spend more of the finale podcast talking about what was in the show as opposed to what wasn't in the show. But I do want to go through it. And I know the one um, thing that's been a little bit of a sticking point for some fans, and I totally understand it. I'm not trying to be dismissive of it. I'm also not trying to be apologetic of it on behalf of Marvel or anything. Like, I'm just going to talk about why it works for me, but why I also understand why people are upset is when we look, we look at Evan Peters as, you know, Ralph Boner, as opposed to Pietro from the Fox X-Men universe. I feel like the Jack Schaefer comments about, you know, not being surprised by fan theories. I feel like that's being taken a little bit out of context because I think she was more talking about fan theories in general. But yes, it is a bit of a dodge when you're talking about Evan Peters as as Quicksilver. Um, Matt Shackman and Jack Schaefer have both kind of explained it along those lines of it's the idea of having somebody who's not Aaron Taylor Johnson is, of course, uh, playing on the bargaining stage of grief. Like it was important for Wanda to sort of be trying to accept something that she knew wasn't right, because that's one of the ways that grief can kind of manifest. And so I think emotionally, that's a very valid story choice to use. And and thematically, I think that it works. And um, I liked what executive producer Mary Lovano said about it and expressed some similar ideas in an interview with comicbook.com, where she said, Wanda's not even sure if this isn't her own subconscious acting out again. And that was one of the things we wondered. Uh, that was one of the things I, I talked about on the podcast when we were watching episode six um, or the reel in episode five. Like, what if this is like a subconscious projection of Wanda? It turns out it wasn't. But, you know, that was an important thing for, I think, for me to have as an audience member was to have that seed of doubt as to what this was, because that was reflective of Wanda's experience. And it's that reflection of Wanda's experience and trying to give the audience a sense of that, that I, I think. And that's something that Mary Lovanos expanded on in that interview with Comic Book, and I'll just read the quote directly. And we wanted the audience to be as confounded as Wanda, and so Evan was the obvious choice for that. Though we knew that we wanted to sort of upend expectations, and so when we brought Evan in and explained exactly what the character was and where he ends up as Ralph, Evan was game, and we're so grateful for that. So it's that part of it, right? It's wanting the audience to be confounded the same way as Wanda. And I think we talked about some of this in the podcast and kind of anticipated that this might be the reason because we, Paul and I talked about it when Evan Peters was revealed at the end of episode five. Yes, this could mean multiverse stuff, but it also might mean nothing at all or might just be a very small thing specific to this show. And there was value in it. I'm not being dismissive of anybody who's upset because yes, they had to know. And if Jack Schaefer didn't know, I guarantee you, because uh, it was Jack Schaefer and Mary Lovanos who initially came up with the idea, and then they went to Kevin Feige with the idea, and and, it, and he went with it. So whether Jack Schaefer knew it or not, I'm sure Mary Lovanos knew, and I'm sure Kevin Feige knew when he approved it, because he could have told him, no, we're not doing that. So for everybody who signed off on this, a lot of them knew what the fan expectations would be, uh, that people would think this must be the sign of the multiverse, it must be things to come. And they they did want you to lean. They wanted to lean on that a little bit because they wanted you questioning. And I think for a lot of us, there was still doubt. You know, we didn't just assume for sure that this is what it was. And I think that's where we are mimicking the experience of Wanda a little bit. 
as Wanda is wondering, is this Pietro? Is this really my brother? Yeah, we're wondering that as well. Is this really her brother? Is this multiverse uh, Pietro from the Fox X-Men universe? What exactly is the nature of this person? And we're supposed to be off kilter a little bit, just like Wanda is. So there was an effect that was, I think, a legitimate effect to be achieved to allow the audience, to put the audience in similar shoes to the character, uh, our main character of Wanda, that I think is valid. I, I think it's a valid choice. I don't think it's just trolling fans or anything like that. I don't believe that's what it is. There was always the possibility that it wasn't going to be quite as big as we thought it would be, or the biggest potential implication of Evan Peters showing up uh, as Pietro or Fietro in WandaVision. So I, I think the choice they made was valid. But what's also valid is if you're disappointed by it, I get it. I, I'm dis If you're disappointed by it, like I understand why you got your hopes up. Like that's totally, like I, I understand it. It doesn't mean that, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say the show cheated, cheated anyone or trolled anyone or anything like that. But if you got your hopes up, that this was going to be a sign of the merger of the Fox X-Men multiverse and the MCU and, and or the Fox X-Men universe and the MCU. And it was going to be like the multiverse merging in the MCU and, and happening right here and now in WandaVision. If you took Evan Peters as a sign that that was going to happen, like I totally get it. I, I understand that. And I think Marvel understands that as well. But we also were supposed to be questioning this the entire time. And the answer always had the potential of not necessarily being that biggest thing. So I, I get why people would get their hopes up. But there was also, I, I think, plenty of reason to keep those keep those hopes in check a little bit and not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I I am. I, I couldn't agree more um, with what you said. I am very um, pleased with kind of how it all came together. The we didn't no nobody um guessed ralph i mean people did people said is he ralph um but nobody nobody knew for sure but to um to get that but even in the official audio description of the show mm -hmm. um it even calls him quicksilver from the x-men films right um and when we get that reveal we're not even armed with the information that wanda is of i created this version of vision that i just had this shouting match with that i'm literally right. floating in the air talking to so she's questioning just as much of who is this person did i legitimately re recreate my brother why does he look different she asks him that two mm -hmm. or three times in the next episode so for us to go through um i i i really like the deliberate decision of confusing us as much as wanda's confused right because that's what this entire show was about was was keeping us on our toes and they said it in assembled two or three times of of saying the audience is going to try to get one step ahead of us uh -huh. and we've got to, we've got to know what they're thinking. And there's in episode four, when they're writing all the questions on the whiteboard, like the show was very self-aware of what it was. Right. Um, and I think this could have planted some sort of seed, not necessarily for the X-Men universe or Evan Peters coming back. I do believe his character to probably be, be done. Um, but it, it, it's going to keep us on our toes of, Hey, we've got a few surprises up our sleeve and you don't have to know what's coming. We don't have to tell you everything. Right. And we want you to experience it the way you experienced Avengers Endgame and, and all the surprises that came before that. Yeah. And I think that if we talk about that idea of bargaining for Wanda, as Matt Shackman talked about and Jack Schaefer and also Mary Lovano's, you know, separately in interviews, you know, talked about their own kind of version of, of that. That's kind of what we were doing as well. Like in the same way that Wanda was trying to 
trying to allow herself to believe that this was her brother and, and not quite being able to fully buy it, like wanting to, but not quite being able to, to fully get there because she's skeptical of Pietro pretty much the entire time in episode six. That was kind of us in our own way. Like maybe some of us trying to strike that bargain with ourselves of like, well, this has to be Pietro from the Fox X-Men films. But then also having that skepticism like, but maybe it wouldn't be because that that's just totally not what this show seems to be about. And that's so much bigger than this show that in so many other respects and, and ultimately what it ultimately it is, is this show about Wanda and Vision and, and Wanda processing her grief. Like this is the show. This feels like something that's totally on, you know, the other side of it. And that was part of my concern with that being it in the first place. And that's probably why it's a little easier for me to stand up here and, and not be as disappointed by it. And as I said, I'm not apologizing for it because I didn't make it. Um, but the reason why I uh, it's maybe easier for me to accept and enjoy it on the terms that that are expressed in the show and then as the creators are, are justifying it after the fact is that I didn't necessarily want it to be Evan Peters uh, Pietro from the Fox X-Men films. Just like I didn't really want the aerospace engineer to be Reed, uh, to be Reed Richards because those types of reveals are so big and so monumental that they just had the ability to completely and you know the very real potential to just overshadow this series that we were watching and the story that we that was unfolding before our eyes which was about Wanda and i mean other characters as well like it was already really cool that this show which is about Wanda and, and her grief gave us a really interesting exploration of vision and also gave us this wonderful introduction to Monica Rambeau as an adult. I mean, obviously, we met her in Captain Marvel as a kid, but as an adult in the MCU and then giving other characters a chance to shine, like bringing back Jimmy Woo and Darcy Lewis, Dr. Darcy Lewis. Like, I I think this show was doing a lot of things, um, but it was always going to come back down to it was always boiling down to Wanda's story and, and her journey by the end of this. And some of those other things would have just pulled things too far in the other direction and probably would have really brushed up against the territory that the MCU is often accused of, of doing. Of like, It's always about the bigger universe and the bigger story and the what's next as opposed to what's happening now. And I tend to disagree with those criticisms quite often. Obviously, I think people know that. But Part of the reason I disagree, it's because of choices like this. It's because of the things they decide not to do. They decide not to have the aerospace engineer to be Reed Richards or another major Marvel superhero. They decide not to have Evan Peters be Quicksilver from another timeline. So sometimes it's those choices. It's the things they hold back on. It's the restraint that they show uh, that really focuses the story on the character that the story is being told for, the, 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 you know, the title character that's in the it's in the series or the movie or whatever it is. Um, so I respect the choices that they made, even if I understand how that disappointed some people. But to look at it from a broader perspective, not just the Evan Peters thing, but there's other stuff too, right? Mephisto theories. I mean, there were words that we said on the on the podcast that now when I go back and listen to our spoiler reviews, I would probably cringe. Like, why did we say Mephisto so many times? Why did we say high evolutionary <laughs> so many times? Um, all of these or nightmare and if, but I know why we said it because the show was giving us little hints here and there and or and certainly because of the mystery box nature of the show, even things that maybe weren't intended to be hints felt like they could be. And, and so that's what drove a lot of the theorizing for the show like obviously and and Marvel leaned into it, right? like they 
even Jack Schaefer, while she was a little kind of, you know, she's mentioned before she's not really on social media, so maybe a little bit more amazed and taken aback by the way fan theories just kind of go crazy. Obviously, Marvel Studios is very, very used to it. And I think they allowed it to be part of the fun of the show. And it was part of the fun. And they allowed it to be part of that misdirection. But it's important to understand that that fun and that misdirection, like they're not promises that this is what you're getting. And I, I think in many ways, this show thematically was an exploration of our relationship with escapism, I've as I've talked about on the podcast. But it also... In the net result also feels like a relation, an examination of our relationship with the MCU itself as our preferred form of escapism. Because theorizing is fun, but I always tell people like never get too attached. Don't fall in love with your own speculation. Don't fall in love with your own theories because they may not ultimately come to fruition in this thing that we're going to see, uh, which was definitely a big part of the talk track in the year between Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame because we don't ultimately know what's going to happen. And it's not our stories to tell. As fans, it's our stories to watch and then make of it what we will. We like it. We don't like it, whatever it is. Um, and that was part of the thing with doing this on the podcast is, of course, we acknowledge other possibilities. Sure, there was always the chance because it's the MCU and, and there are characters in the comics who have certain relationships that point to certain things. So, yeah, the potential is there for Mephisto or somebody else to show up. But there was also the chance, as we talked about on the spoiler reviews, that one of the things that was always there was that the show was going to be a lot more straightforward than it seemed, and it was. Um, Agnes was the obvious suspect from episode one. Just based, if you throw out everything you know outside of the MCU and just focus on what the show is giving you, the exploration of grief with Wanda was there. Agnes uh, slash Agatha all along was was there the whole time, and, and we were acknowledging it and aware of it, that she could have been up to something and been the main antagonist the whole time. Uh, and Wanda, of course, an antagonist in her own way, um, all of these things were there, and it turned out to be exactly that. And I think that's where the misdirection kind of helped and the red herrings and everything else. Yeah, it helped because otherwise we were going to obviously jump to the conclusions that were right in front of our face the whole time. Like it gave us that doubt, um, which in many is another way in which the show kind of mimicked Wanda's experience is like, yeah, she could um, she could have just ultimately realized and accepted what she was doing, um, but she distracted herself you know she allowed herself to buy into these flights of fancy of what this is uh and not fully uh not fully questioning and or accepting what was there right in front of her and so we were kind of doing that as well with the show and and i i still count it as part of the fun and, and really what matters to most to me is that the actual story being told um now that we know what it is and, and how complete it is i think it's the best version of this story that they could have told yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And like you said, Marvel's fully aware of of kind of what was coming and and being and making that part of the fun because if we didn't, yeah, like we were always looking for that next thing because Agnes was was Agatha all along. You could tell. And we we knew it was Agatha. What we didn't know is yeah. was she helping, was she hurting? Mm -hmm. Um, but I will never ever think of Paul Bettany now without thinking of just his, <laughs> yeah. his epic troll job of I, cause he had me like, and yeah. combine yeah. that with Jack Schaefer's featurette. I thought wonder man was coming and, yeah. and it would have made, it would have made a lot of sense. So for Paul Bettany to say somebody I've wanted to work with my whole life, it's, it's, I, I, I share your opinion of it's the greatest troll job in the history of, yeah. of, of the Marvel universe. And it was, it was, it was so much fun, but just, 
people need, if I think in six months, and especially as we lead up to Dr. Strange, you've seen this, especially throughout the pandemic, Thor, the dark world would trend on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Iron Man three. I know you, Sean, have had an appreciation for Iron Man three and Trevor Slattery all along. Not everybody has, but people right. are going to go back and they're going to see how good these things are. And as we get up to Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, people are going to rewatch WandaVision and they're going to have a lot more appreciation for what they got and especially get more excited. I think or for what the potential is of, of I'll make it feel like Paul's here, vanilla vision. Um, <laughs> and what that, what that's going to, what that's going to mean. We all agree that white vision is going to come back in some form or fashion. We don't know when that's going to be. And that's how the MCU always is it's the secret sauce it's what keeps us it's what keeps us here but overall this show had i got very i got very frustrated with people saying it's not enough mcu in the first few few episodes because it was too sitcommy and then at the end to complain that it was too mcu and too much too much battles we don't get to have it we don't get to have it both ways but um if you look back to iron man 2 when when Tony props up his equipment using Cap's shield Mm -hmm. and then getting upset that Captain America didn't show up in Iron Man 2. Like, that's not (laughs) that's not what it's about. Like, we we need to take these seeds and going back and watching WandaVision, I think, in a year from now and seeing the seeds that were planted and seeds that can absolutely come back is going to be really, really exciting. And I expect the appreciation for this series only to appreciate. Yeah, I I think that. Well, and. I know we've spent uh, a fair amount of time here addressing some of the the criticisms or complaints about the show over the past week. I should emphasize though that like the the overall reception of the show has been extraordinarily positive and I the the reason I'm addressing these things is cuz I I find it interesting, not because I feel like there's some overwhelming amount of complaints. I've actually seen more people complaining about complaints about WandaVision than people actually you're, you're complaining talking, about WandaVision. Yeah, you're talking to that person. I've seen a a lot more of that. And um, I only, yeah, and the reason why I want to talk about it, because I I understand that some of the disappointment, because I don't want to be dismissive of some of the disappointment that's out there, because I do think it comes from a valid kind of emotional place. Um, But yeah, and some of the things that people don't like about it or what I love about it, I mean, and it does remind me in some ways it is reminiscent of Iron Man 3. Like a lot of people don't like Iron Man 3 specifically because of the Mandarin twist. And that's actually one of my favorite things about Iron Man 3. So sometimes it's just something clicks with you or it doesn't for whatever reason. Uh, and that's OK. You know, you don't have to love every aspect of it. Um, and, you know, because there are definitely things that I'm not always in love with in the MCU. Generally, though, obviously, my opinions are very favorable. So I I understand where it's coming from. But I also think it's a really interesting thing to kind of examine and think about with our relationship with the MCU as fans and that because the MCU is so with its interconnectivity, it is so much about the bigger picture and the bigger story. It's, you know, that's always part of it. And it's always in our mind and it's part of the excitement. But I think the core of why we really enjoy this, whether we are always aware of it or articulated or not, it's the stories that are being told right in front of us and how satisfying and fulfilling they are as their own kind of standalone chapter or story within this larger uh, overarching narrative of the MCU. And so I, I think that's where, you know, we're always looking at the possibility that something could, something bigger might be right around the corner because sometimes it is, sometimes that's true, but that's not always true in the MCU. And in the case of WandaVision, looking back on it now, and of course, I mean, felt this way the whole time, but especially looking back on it now, there's nothing really missing from the show 
other than my one thing is missing is I wish we had more Agatha backstory and motivation. Other than that, um, and that's but that's based on wanting more of something that's in the show, as opposed to the things that were never there. Mephisto, Doctor Strange, anything Nightmare, anything else like um, or, uh, you know, Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men films. The show didn't really need any of those things. I don't think it would have benefited from any of those things. Uh, if anything, those things would have been too much of a distraction, in my estimation, from this really great story that was being told. And as I said, I think this is the best version of WandaVision that they could have told. And I have been so happy with the series, and I really look forward to rewatching it again and again. I know that obviously it's the nature of these things. We got another thing to move on to. We've got uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier next week, and then we've got Black Widow somewhere somehow. Uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, Loki on June 11th, and you know we have so much MCU now that it almost feels like how are we gonna like you know how are we gonna maintain our uh, or go back to some of these things like WandaVision uh, because it's like we're always just moving forward. But I think WandaVision is something that a lot of people, uh, myself included, will be very excited to revisit. And I already kind of have October sort of earmarked. If it doesn't, and it might happen before then, multiple times, but. I feel like WandaVision is going to be, you know, a Halloween tradition because it is kind of the spookiest Marvel thing or MCU story that we've been treated to thus far. And with witches and Agatha all along and the very monsters feel and, and vibe of that, um, I'm very much looking forward to revisiting WandaVision in October of this year, if not um, before then. But Brian, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this episode. It was really fun talking WandaVision with you. Thank you, Sean. I I really appreciate it. I I can't wait to see, especially what comes of this episode or this series and, and Monica specifically. Like yeah. All just all the potential this series set up. I just wanted to, to get that in there. I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I mean, yeah, when we look at what's next for these characters, which we don't know specifically what it is, but we know where we anticipate seeing them next, although it wouldn't shock me if we see Monica again before Captain Marvel, too. But we know we're seeing her there. We know we're going to see uh, Wanda or the Scarlet Witch in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So excited about the future of these characters. But what makes us excited about the future is because of how good and enjoyable this present moment has been uh, with these characters. Um, and it's just been it's been a real treat. And as I said, I'll, I'll just echo what I said uh, at the end of our finale spoiler review. Just I feel very lucky that we have WandaVision. Uh, really enjoyed it and very excited to spend more time uh, examining it on this show, but then also with Marvel Studios Assembled, the making of WandaVision. But before we get out of here, just have some people to thank, besides Brian, for joining me on this show and being part of our Patreon. Thank you to Ronald P., uh, Ian S-B, uh, Jeff P., Eric N., Manuel B., Kyle J., David M., and Asher S. They are some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Gerber, where we have exclusive podcasts, as I mentioned at the top of the show, as well as community events like the upcoming the Falcon and the Winter Watch Party series, uh, which begins on Saturday, March 20th, and considers er continues every Saturday thereafter through the end of the show, 4 p.m. Pacific time for each and every one of those episode watch-alongs. So for more information on that, you can click the link on the show notes or go to patreon.com slash S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. -E -E and a reminder to follow us at MCU Fan Show, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and leave that rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you have not done so already. And if you have, thank you again for that. Brian, is there anywhere you want to have people keep up with you? Uh, just find us on the Discord um, and the Patreon. The Discord's a whole lot of fun. Lots of conversations going on over there. Uh, the more, the merrier. 
Well, thanks for another plug for the Discord. Much appreciated. And if you want to follow me, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Brian and for MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean Gerber. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.